Many years ago, in a communi communion, a priest put the wafer in my palm, back when you could touch hands, place it there firmly, and said, the body of Christ, food for the journey. Food for the journey. It's the first time I had heard it put that way. Food for the journey is what manna is. Manna is the food that the Hebrew people find out in the wilderness. They collect it every morning and prepare it in different ways, it says. It cannot be stored overnight. There's no refrigeration out there, right? It appears every morning fresh. The Bible says God provides this manna. After the people complain earlier that there's nothing to eat, their kids are hungry. Moses appeals to God a lot like today's reading, saying, did you bring us out here to die? Because that's what the people say to him. I can't fix this, he says, and manna is the answer. Scholars tell us there is something very much like this manna that can be found in that region today. It appears in the morning as a flaky sap or something like that, and it's used to make bread or cakes. People still use it. It's not easily stored. And it's called something that, like, if I had a better accent, sounds a lot like manna. So personally, I like a good miracle. You know, I appreciate God being with us and a solution, right? I'm okay with not having any further research done, unless it might help us to understand even better, and some of that might, that there was a context and a place and a need, right? And they learned to be in the place that they were in a different way than they had been before. Their food had come to them differently. So in today's readings, the people are really tired of this manna. The miracle part has rubbed off, right? Maybe like if that communion wafer was all you ever got every day. Miraculous, but no cheese on bread, right? <laughs> or whatever it is that you would want if you had to eat for 40 years of journeying, which means a lifetime. So Moses cannot bear the complaints of the people again, it says, and the complaints are so harsh. And you know, we can sympathize with that. They had left everything behind. Even if that everything was brutal enslavement, everything. And freedom seemed to entail wandering and a very limited diet. Now in response, God tells Moses to gather 70 of the elders. There are times in the Bible when it is the young or children or the strong, but this time it is the seniors, the elders, those who are already leaders in the community, not emerging, but set the respected ones. So part of this reading, um, the part without the fruits and vegetables, can be used for installations of new rectors. Distribute the work, it says. Share the load of consoling a troubled people. Help the group to hold a sometimes painful or difficult vision. This is the work of leaders. It is by definition difficult. It says, share it wisely. In the scope of your Bible, this is pretty early on in the story, but it's argued this is the heart of the text, the stories of Moses and the liberation of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt is the very heart of our faith. And who Jesus is, literally, a similar, Jesus is the new Moses, right? The Messiah is the new Moses. And one of the ways that we parallel this is in the readings we have today. We get to see the readings next to each other and Jesus tells a very similar story on purpose to invoke for everyone the story of Moses. We're not so clever, so we get them right next to each other. 
Someone not designated by us is healing people, the disciples say to Jesus. Moses' leaders say, someone not among us is prophesying. And both Moses and Jesus say, allow it. Unless someone is against us, Jesus adds, they're for us. So I'll tell you, I've been thinking this week since I found the reading, the Bible really provides, doesn't it? Sometimes just exactly what you need. There it is, right in the text. There's a lot in these stories and a lot that fits our lives. I could just sit down and you can just take it where you need to take it. There's a lot there. Remember the people said, but sir, we had melons and fish and leeks and onions and garlic and cucumbers. It sounds delightful especially grown in a Mediterranean climate, right? What they remembered is that they had what they needed. They thought they could feed their children. They remembered freedom was proving to be a lot of work, unpredictable, bland. In Washington, D.C., after the Civil War, an enormous encampment was established of freed slaves fleeing the South. They arrived essentially on Lincoln's doorstep for advice on the next step, there must be a plan, right? Because slavery is all we have known in this land. We own nothing. Our former owners won't pay us for work, and that doesn't really sound like it would work out anyway. And that can't be the best plan. Surely someone knows what happens next. No one did, really. A brand new idea, a new day, in need of new imaginations, a new plan, and something to get us all there, some kind of food for the journey. The Hebrew people weren't wrong about the melons and the leeks, but they had forgotten the enslavement part. Or maybe their beaten-down minds and hearts still believed that that was the best it could be for them in light of the ways of this world, their real lived experience. They were a small people, after all. Remember that Moses, their leader, murders an Egyptian earlier in the story who he sees beating a Hebrew worker. He has to flee. And then God chooses him to lead his people out of enslavement. But today what they remember is they are hungry. Strikingly today, the readings point to this one idea, that there are other prophets out there, other healers, and if they are not against us, they are for us, we must listen. Moses says even more clearly, they too are prophets. Prophets. A prophet is one who calls out the sins of the people. It is challenging. A prophet charts a new way. You will remember the prophet Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, quoted by the prophet Martin Luther King Jr. That's what a prophet does. Prophets upset things as they are because it point, a prophet points to God's righteousness, God's dream for us, God's ways. The prophet Ruby Sales starts her racial reckoning trainings with this question, where does it hurt? Like the letter of James, says in a slightly different way, come as you are to God. If you are in sorrow, lament. If you are in anger, rage. If you are filled with joy, praise God. Don't run away from God. Don't hide from God. God can take it. We can take it. We can take the truth. Believe in the power of staying close to God and loving others. Be a prophet in your own time. We can change this world. James says we must. So in year two of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
I can say on behalf of all of us, we hurt. We have lost so much. There is a sea of a memorial on the lawns in Washington, D.C. The scope of the loss is almost unimaginable. And there are many and some in power that deny that this is happening at all or, in, or how we got here, right? So on top of the loss, it is exhausting and demoralizing to watch people get sick and some die, especially when it might have been avoidable. We are delicate and we are frazzled collectively, right? Very few of us, if any, God bless you if you are, are our best selves right now. Like wandering in the desert and eating the same bland thing day after day. Remember back when we didn't have to do this? Remember? Some of us are acting almost like we're there, but we're not quite. Kids are still waiting to be vaccinated. Parents are doing everything they can to protect them. It is exhausting. If you are immunocompromised, it is exhausting. We are exhausted. And yet it says in numbers, in the midst of all this chaos, and it's chaos, that prophets prophesy among them, even in these kinds of times, maybe particularly in these kinds of times. So when I first read these readings, I was um, struck by, and I've been kind of, this image has been in my mind all week because of it, um, the image of the Haitian refugee in Texas on the border. Whenever Texas makes the news, I take note, and unfortunately it's rarely something I'm really proud of, right? Um, so it's a, a, a officer with a whip, very much like the Moses story, right? That image, if you remember it from your children's Bible, is an Egyptian with a whip. Um, so it's a, an image, the image is of a Haitian refugee. He's thin, he's kind of tall and folded over at the receiving end of a whip, a whip from a uniformed officer on horseback. And these are people crossing the border in Del Rio, Texas, and they're being corralled like animals except that we don't treat our animals like that anymore, do we? These are asylum seekers from Haiti. God only knows how long their journey must have been. I'm sure it feels like a lifetime. Who knows which tragedy they are fleeing? There have been plenty. But like Moses watching his kinsmen whipped by the soldier, perfectly legal, right? Their enslavement was the law. May we be outraged at the injustice. To be very clear, to claim asylum, you have to land on the territory of the nation to which you are appealing. That's just how it works. That's the law, right? That is how that international law works. It's lovely. It's an international convention that we are proud to be a part of as Americans. It provides for the beautiful and humane idea that every person on this planet should have the right as a human being to be safe somewhere on this planet. Who can deny that? but they have to get to a safe place or a place they presume to be safe and claim that right. And God bless us, despite everything we've done over the years, people believe that of us. So impossibly difficult, especially for the poor, to get to places like that, to get here. The curve of that whip on that man's body, he was wearing jeans and a t-shirt, reminds me of the curve of a fire hose in Montgomery pointing at the bodies of children the swirl of the old ways fighting to remain, insisting on creating a new generation of the same. In the new Penn Station in New York, um, the, the Moynihan Hall, I hope you get to see this if you haven't already, the artist Kehinde Wiley has made in stained glass up high images of kids of all shades, <clears throat> excuse me, of shades in jeans and t-shirts, dancing, skating, playing, 
cool kids, right? Like a dance of creation, all swirls and energy in the ceiling. It evokes the Sistine Chapel, because how often do we look up at ceilings, right? A new creation that we can witness right now, a new future pointing to something unknown, a beautiful future. In Washington National Cathedral, our cathedral in Washington, D.C., they have finally decided to remove their Confederate windows after a very long process of discussion about how to do that right. And they have commissioned an artist to design windows that evoke futures, what can be, what must be, the business of God. In our readings today, we are advised to stay connected to exactly where we are. Stay in touch with it. So we don't project it out somewhere else, I would add, but stay in touch with it. We must. We cannot feel what we don't. Don't fake it. Our weariness is real. And yes, there were leeks and very nice fish. But let us listen for the words of the prophets wherever we might find them. And let us notice the healers and the opportunities to heal. Because God is always doing a new thing, and it is our work to perceive it. So let us cast together our eyes to a future, swirling, emerging, like an image in stained glass of what can be, of what must be, because we too are free. <laughs>